morning, good morning everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, whatever the case may be on this rotating globe. Welcome to another edition, live from the land of enchantment, New Mexico, Indian country, or should I say Native Americans, because they were certainly here long before we were. We have one hell of a show for you tonight, because we've got the goods And we've got the people to explain it to you, including a very vast faculty of uh, consultants and guests and uh, members of the Enterprise Mission Imaging Team and some kibitzers. Let's see, who's the kibitzer? We'll we'll get through that when we get through. Um, I want to hit a couple of high spots in the news first. For those of you who are um, new to the show, I want to tell you how to get to where you can see these images. We have this section called Radio with Pictures, where instead of showing stupid videos of, you know, people talking, like, uh, YouTube is so filled with nonsense, idiocy. Ah, talk about noise. What we try to do is provide imagery that we talk about, but you don't get to see us, thank God. You get to see the imagery and to focus solely on what we're describing in these astonishing history-making pictures. So... What you want to do is go to the other side of midnight.com. That's our URL. That's our homepage. Click on that. That will take you to a very graciously laid out page, courtesy of Kintia, who is our art director for both Enterprise and the other side of midnight and other things that we ask her to do from time to time in the artistic vein. And you click on tonight's banner, which says Artemis One, visit to a planet made of glass. And then my friend Arthur in his incredible quote, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Click on that banner. That will take you to the guest page. And then right under there where it says in big yellow letters to listen to the show, it says in smaller letters in white, fast links to items. And you'll see my name, Ron Gerbron, Andrew Curry, Jonathan Womack, Robert Morningstar, and I think we're going to have Barbara adding something, but I may be wrong about that. Okay. Barbara is in the next line, which is all the bios. So when I talk about somebody, I'm not going to spend 20 minutes doing their bios because everybody has a bio that really deserves like 20 minutes. So you can go and read the bio if you're new to these people, to the site, to the investigation, to what we're doing tonight. In the meantime, I will give you a couple line shorthand, which will give the context of why these people are presenting to you tonight something really historic and incredibly important. So without further ado, uh, click on my name, where it says Richard there. Just click on that. That will take you to my section of the Radio with Pictures page. You can see the old RKO emblem there at the top that I freely, freely stole and then modified um, because we actually had a, had a development deal with RKO. Oh, the things that never were, but might be again. Who knows? Life is, is short and history is moving at warp nine. Anyway, item number one. After 26 days in space, in deep space, which can include something like 270 thousand miles give or take beyond the distance of the moon that's total distance 50,000 miles beyond the moon the orion spacecraft splashed down this uh, afternoon eastern time morning pacific uh, a few hundred miles off uh, um, baja because there is a major cold front sweeping and a huge storm winter storm first of the season sweeping down across the north pacific it's made landfall in california the temperatures here today were almost 60 tomorrow they're going to be like 30 degrees colder and they're telling us we're going to have snow jingle bells jingle bells anyway um item number one this is the artemis blog from nasa which has been a mainstay of this page for months and months and months since uh, I think last August when they were first trying to launch this thing. Well, they did it, they did it, they did it, and um, we will, in the ensuing days, hear from NASA and, of course, with our commentary, all the play-by-play of how amazingly successful this spacecraft was. 
The launch vehicle, well, that's something else, and we're not going to take a lot of time tonight, but you cannot develop a sustainable program to go back to the moon and put a colony at the South Pole uh, and do all the things that we're going to need to do in the next few years when the mainstream suddenly realizes what you're going to get a first row seat tonight and looking at, which is the moon is studded with incredible ancient artificial ET artifacts all over the damn place, particularly at the South Pole, hiding under an extraordinary planet-wide, I use the term planet loosely for the moon because it is basically a planet-sized object, planet-wide glass dome, uh, which is highly uh, concentrated at the South Pole. In other words, more of it is left there than around the equator, certainly on the side of the moon that we can see, the so-called near side. And that's where NASA plans to put a base, a developing city on the moon to be permanently occupied in the out years, just like uh, the International Space Station has been continuously occupied since, will you believe it, 1998. I remember it well. Anyway, um, but you're not going to do that with a Congress which is at, on, on the best of days kind of iffy about space. I mean, they're like showing up for, uh, you know, golden shovel moments or, you know, taking credit for some astonishing economic breakthrough in terms of spin-off technologies. But uh, funding a real space program, NASA has not had a real budget. Apropos, when you account for inflation of what it was spending in the 1960s, when we sent Apollo to the moon first, it hasn't had a real budget for decades. I mean, it's now less than half of 1% of the federal budget. It's less than $19.5 billion per year. Heck, most other government agencies spend twice or three times that much, and some of them, uh, the Pentagon, spends almost a trillion dollars per year of the U.S. taxpayers' dollars. So NASA has been starved for money, starved for money, starved for money. And in that situation, it really is astonishing that we have sent this first unmanned, very expensive Artemis mission, this first of the Artemis program, following in the heels of Apollo after only 50 years, half a century. It's not that we didn't know how to do this stuff. All the conspiracy theorists say, oh, we never went to the moon. This is why it's taken so long to go back. No, it's all about money, greenbacks. You know, the old cliche, no bucks, no Buck Rogers. We have starved NASA, and I think it's been part of the deliberate plan. Because you can't have NASA out there doing what it should be doing in a big, high, wide, and handsome way without them tripping over in ways that cannot be concealed any longer all the extraordinary ET stuff that's waiting for us that is going to transform irrevocably and for the better all of terrestrial civilization. You can't do that. So, in the Hoagland geopolitical model of why NASA has been starved for money, we've been kind of eking out one little space station, dinky space station, although it kind of gets perks, you know, but it's really not going and exploring and embracing the solar system like we envisioned back when I was with Cronkite and a consultant to NASA. We've been kind of mucking along because they've held us in the shallow water because in the deep water beyond the moon lie all the things they have not wanted us to know until, big caveat, until maybe now. Because NASA's plan in two or three years, again, star for money, is to send the first men and women back to the moon following Apollo, and then in short order, like a year or two after that, begin establishing this moon base, this first city in the modern era on the moon at the South Pole. And I don't mean right at the pole, but somewhere close by. And that's all going to take a lot of people, a lot of technology, a lot of hardware, a lot of money. And here's the bottom line. 
This Artemis One mission, with the first test launch of both the booster, the space launch system, the follow-on to the um, Saturn V, uh, which was kind of clued together from hand-me-down parts and engineering from the space shuttle program, per a political influence on the name of Richard Shelby, uh, Senator Richard Shelby from Alabama, who insisted that uh, all of this be done in his state with his taxpayers getting returns from the federal dollar back in his, you know, gravy train, and that it used this technology developed in Alabama at the Marshall Space Flight Center, which, of course, all took place. And that's why it now is uh, over, 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 overpriced. I mean, when you compare the cost of the Artemis system with the SLS, the Space Launch System, the big rocket with the two solid fuel boosters on the side of the orange tanks, that launch the other night on the 16th of, um, of November, that cost $4.1 billion with a B. Billion. Um, hell, the B-2 bomber, the B-21 bomber, whatever, they, they only cost like half a bill for a reusable spacecraft or, or you know, they're almost spacecraft, uh, bombers, aircraft. Uh, you don't ditch them in the Pacific Ocean after one flight. This is what we did with the Artemis launch system. They ditched it in the Atlantic Ocean. can never be used again. Now, contrast that with a guy named Elon Musk, who is developing a, an extraordinary separate system called the Starship Heavy Launch System in Texas with launches also to take place on uh, uh, Launchpad 39A at some point, uh, thereby hangs the tail. He can send in the Starship, because of the technology he has developed and his engineers and his incredibly innovative team, um, for the price of $10 million to the moon, not $4 billion. Eight people! to do what Artemis One did in the last few days. 10 million versus 4 billion. So obviously, 4 billion is not sustainable. So obviously, the space launch system will use it maybe two or three more times. It will quietly be retired. Um, Musk, who has the contract through SpaceX to develop the lunar lander part of the Artemis program, quietly is going to take over everything, except maybe for the spacecraft itself. Uh, it turns out you can actually launch the Artemis uh, Orion spacecraft and its uh, European service module on a Falcon Heavy for about 10 mil. And it can get to the moon, including its upper stage, for about 10 mil compared to 4 billion. Anyway, sorry to bore you with all these numbers, but if we're really looking at a sustainable program to go back to the moon, to land, to begin building a moon city at the South Pole, where there are ample resources. We now know from unmanned missions over previous years, things like water, oxygen, nitrogen, carbohydrates, carbons, metals, everything to build an infrastructure, industrial level infrastructure from the lunar resources themselves. That's how it's going to have to be done. So just watch, you know, you've heard it here first, probably. Uh, there will be a very elegant and smooth transition between the big NASA system that is so overpriced because of Shelby that there's no way it's part of a sustainable program. And what Musk has been quietly doing with NASA help, with NASA funding, but he is sure made the dollars go an incredible long way. And one of the ways that he is going to keep the cost down is something that NASA has been talking about for decades and never got around to actually implementing, which is you launch gas stations into orbit and then you launch rockets into orbit. And after they expend their fuel going from Earth's surface to Earth orbit, they refuel in orbit. You top off the tanks. And then, as Robert Heinlein said, once you're in Earth orbit, you're halfway to anywhere. All you need 
is the gas. So Musk has been designing his system to refuel starships, literally in low Earth orbit, and then he's going to send some to the moon and some to Mars and some. In other words, this is the way you develop a chemical rocket-based infrastructure that ultimately can, in the words of my dear departed friend Kraft Ericke, inherit the solar system. And I will add again, as you will see tonight. Okay, I spent a lot of time on number one. Number two, last night in the pre-dawn hours, as I said on last night's show, SpaceX successfully launched the Japanese lander, <clears throat> which has a um, NASA CubeSat, which is going to look for water at the uh, South Pole with more resolution. It's got a UAE rover, and it's the first commercial mission, unmanned mission, that in uh, four months, April, I think right around my birthday, they're going to land, God willing, on the creek don't rise, as my grandmother would have said. She was a big Tennessee Ernie Ford friend. Anyway, they're going to land on the moon, and I believe they're aiming for the South Polar region, which leads me to items three and four. And this is where things are going to get really interesting tonight as we get into our discussion after we lay out some data. And I want everybody in the audience to pay specific attention to items three and four. Because I said in my tease for tonight's show that we have a new secret weapon to make sure that everything we have found, in fact, is going to be made public and in a relatively close horizon time frame. Are we waiting for NASA? I mean, NASA, because again, they're being starved for money, is not going to be able to put together the resources for Artemis II until two years from tonight. Come on. Is that any way to run a railroad, let alone a space program? In the meantime, a guy named Musk, who's developing the super heavy booster in Texas and the uh, Starship to go with it, he is waiting for some, I think, FAA clearances, if I'm not mistaken, uh, to have his first low-orbit uh, test flight in low-Earth orbit of the Starship booster combination. And you know, let's say that takes a couple. We know that Musk crew moves at an incredibly faster rate than the NASA crew. Well, when your launch only costs you $10 million instead of, you know, $4 billion, yes, you can move faster. So... He's doing all these very cool technological things, and he is saying now that within a year from tonight, there could be eight astronauts, civilians, artists flying in the starship around the moon in what's called the Dear Moon Flight. And everything you wanted to know about it is in items three and four, including the fact that item nine number four, the Daily Mail, has done a very interesting profile on this uh, ecologist and rather uh, eco-freak fanatic, as they uh, uh, call her, uh, anti-fracker and fossil fuel critic. I mean, everything negative they could say about this person who was a professional photographer uh, from Britain who won one of the eight seats. I mean, what did, you, what did you have to do to win a seat on the first mission around the moon with a private unmanned uh, or, or human-capable spacecraft? You basically had to send them an email and say, I want to go. Then they looked at you and they did a background and they did a, uh, I'm, I'm not quite sure how they selected the eight people because I haven't had time to really do much reading of those uh, two links myself. But there are all those people listed, and there's deep background on all of them. And toward the end of the show, I will tell you, dear Other Side of Midnight audience, how you can help, beginning tonight, to play a pivotal part in opening up the solar system for us and everybody else. So stay tuned for that, okay? Item number five. Uh, this is the Artemis overall flight plan graphic. We'll refer to it a couple of times during the evening. That's just kind of for background. Item number six, this is a, a news story that comes out of uh, the CBC. Isn't it interesting that within a couple of hours, the end of the Orion mission 
marked, certainly on the same day, and within a couple hours, 50 years exactly since the landing back on Earth of the crew of Apollo 17, which was the last NASA mission to the moon, for which I was present at the launch on a ship offshore anchored with this incredible first and last night launch of the uh, Apollo program, the Saturn V. There was actually video of that that was taken by our documentary film crew, which uh, uh, I did not have time to post it, and poor Keith would have killed me if I had, so we will do that for another time. But it's kind of interesting to watch what this thing looked like from offshore um, at night. Uh, but literally, 50 years ago tonight, to the night, this is the half-century anniversary of the end of the Apollo era and the beginning of the Artemis generation. And if you think NASA was not totally aware of that and made that happen, despite all those delays, then you and I don't occupy the same radio space tonight. Anyway, um, items from seven on involve uh, uh, the, the, the details of the Orion mission and some of the really uh, fascinating and extraordinary uh, data that we have now kind of gone through. And so rather than take up the time at the beginning of the show here, let me in the first uh, couple of 10 minutes um, add my guest tonight to the list. Let me see. I have to click on something. What do I click on? Here we are. Okay. Not any particular order. Ron Gerbron is joining us. He is our resident generalist. Again, all these people's bios are available if you click on Fast Links to Bios. Andrew Curry is with us. Andrew is a professional artist. He has worked for major film companies, television documentaries. He's done storyboards for Super Bowl ads, and uh, he also has a master's in art therapy. And so we have used his expertise to try to psychoanalyze the extraordinary lunar paintings from Alan Bean, who was the uh, lunar module pilot on Apollo 12 and who kept giving us what's really on the moon for decades when nobody would listen directly. But they do see it in his paintings if they know what to look for. Speaking of art... Kinthea is with us. We haven't had Kinthea with us for a long time. She is the art director of the Enterprise Mission and The Other Side of Midnight, and she has her own show called The Other Side of the News, which she has helmed now for well over a year, which uh, takes positions that um, I don't, but that's what makes horse races, as my grandmother also would have said. So uh, I'm a firm believer in the First Amendment. Oh, boy, do I believe in the First Amendment. Anyway, um, then we've got Keith uh, Morgan with us, who is, as you know, worked for Ted Koppel and is now uh, giving his extraordinary expertise and patience to uh, both shows, The Other Side of Midnight and The Other Side of the News. And um, he will obviously have some thoughts on what he sees tonight. Uh, John Womack is with us. John is a uh, graphic expert, graphic designer. He has had personal experience with... Um, uh, shall we say, out-of-dimension, uh, out-of-body experiences, has ranged beyond the Earth and uh, has seen some things that uh, uh, actually have been kind of correlated and corroborated by some other remote viewers. And I think one of the things he's going to talk about tonight is how that expertise fits into the bigger picture. Robert Morningstar is back with us. Now, Robert is a civilian intelligence analyst. And if that sounds a bit kind of um, uh, diametrically opposed, it's not. Uh, he's also many other things. He knows photo interpretation, geometric analysis. He um, is a private pilot. He's an expert in Chinese languages, history, and martial arts. Um, uh, what am I forgetting? Anyway, he's, a, he's another basically a generalist um, and has been a friend and colleague of mine for far too many years. When I used to live across the river, he would come and visit me from his palatial estate there on the shores of the Hudson uh, uh, River. <clears throat> Just kidding, Robert. Just kidding. Okay. And last but not least is Barbara Honiger. Now, Barbara is interesting because she is the only one of us assembled tonight that has actual real-world political experience in Washington 
And that's why I asked her to be on tonight, even though at the moment she is holding a dinner party. And I guess all her guests are kind of, uh, um, you know, listening in the background. So what I like to do, given that all of what we're going to talk about tonight depends on open public dis disclosure, I want her to give us a kind of a political um, uh, update on where we stand with what I think is probably the most important thing that will happen in the realm of making everything you're going to hear and see tonight openly public, on the public record, acknowledged by the mainstream, and that is the president signing the 2023 National Defense Authorization Act imminently within days, if not a week or two. So without further ado, Barbara Honiger, please come on down. Hi, Richard. Hi there. You can hear me. We can hear you fine. <clears throat> yeah. Well, this is very exciting because um, you didn't mention it, but we have on previous shows, and that's why you wanted me to come on again tonight to to repeat because it's so important um, that the authorization for the use of military force, the AAUMF, um, has been uh, passed by both houses of Congress, and it's now gone to President Biden to sign, and he will, of course, sign it. Um, there are a couple of provisions in it that he doesn't like, but that's okay because it's a veto-proof majority in both houses, so he will sign it. And once he signs it, um, as uh, your listeners who've heard the previous shows know, uh, that there is a section in it. When when I was on with you and Steve Bassett, a couple of shows um, we've had on this, um, that there is an extremely important section. You can probably tell me the number. I can't remember it. But there's an ex incredibly important uh, section of the bill that's about to be signed by Biden into law um, that um, – that requires uh, that that opens up and requires um, uh, a very a very serious advance in the UAP, the unidentified aerial phenomenon investigation and public reporting. So that's number one. But probably just as important as that, um, almost simultaneously with that being passed in the House, as I recall, House or Senate, which was a couple of weeks ago um, when we were on the previous show with um, Steve Bassett, um, that was when Biden very kind of, kind of quietly uh, signed an executive order, uh, which uh, in essence, in gist, states that the Department of Justice and the Biden administration, the government, executive branch will no longer be demanding, mandating uh, journalists, any, and they, they refer to it as members of the, quote, media, unquote, will no longer uh, force or try to force members of the media to turn over their notes or records or any documents relating to their discussions with um, secret sources, including if the information they receive is classified. So this is an incredible advance because, let's put two and two together, let's connect the dots. Once the AUMF goes uh, into effect... I'll, I'll tell you what, we're at the bottom of the hour, so why don't we hold it there because we don't want to... This is an important punchline. We don't want to shortchange it, okay? okay? My guest this morning, my first guest is Barbara Honiger, resident of the Reagan White House, well-versed in policy in Washington, explaining why everything you're going to see tonight and what you've seen in many past shows can come out of NASA fully legal and covered with an impenetrable legal shield that the folks inside showing us the real imagery, the real data, the folks in the Air Force, in the other military parts of the establishment who had interesting interactions with UFOs or UFO technology or any of the things that go bump in the night, they can go public with zero legal repercussions. But what will incentivize them is they also, if they talk to the media, they can make a million dollars in their spare time. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. Welcome to the land of free enterprise.
theothersideofmidnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. What is the real story? And we are back. <laughs> Gosh, I keep hitting the wrong pots here. Here we are. Sorry. So, Barbara, this is an incredible backdrop to an incredible mission because. As we're going to prove throughout the night, they have been lying and lying and lying about even the photographs from Artemis. They've been, you know, doing weird things. They've been compressing them, draining them of color, giving us lousy resolution. I mean, there's no way that these images are 4K resolution from several of 16 cameras that this spacecraft carried. But all that doesn't matter because in a few days, when the president signs this 2023 NDAA, Legally, if there are folks inside that want to tell the American people and the world the truth, there will be no legal impediment to them sharing any data on extraterrestrial ruins that exist on the moon that they wish to. And believe me, there's a lot of ruins to share. So please continue. Right. Well, the as I understand it from the show with Steve Bassett, and he he read the critical sections of the of the uh, bill that's about to become law. Um, technically, it only applies to it explicitly applies. Let's put it that way to any information that has been um, required by someone's supervisor not to be released to the public, that, that all of those non-disclosure orders are vacated. Okay, sorry, um, Barbara, someone is clicking. Would, would someone please mute their mic? I'm hearing someone, you know, cracking peanuts or walnuts or something. I didn't hear that. Okay. Um, so so the, um, the bill that's about to become law explicitly refers to any inside the government information that would include DOD and presumably also NASA that has anything to do directly or I would probably argue indirectly with the unidentified aerial phenomenon slash ET. Well, remember the law also covers all the contractors. And for decades, we've all looked to Lockheed Martin as the place in private industry where the bodies are buried and which you can't get information out of through FOIA because technically, up until this law is signed, contractors are immune to, you know, requests for Freedom of Information Acts. No longer anybody who wishes to spill the beans in any of these subcontractor companies, these vast corporations that know everything, including stunning things about free energy technologies derived from ET spacecraft and hyperdimensional transit systems and secret space. For all of this can come out because they will all have legal cover once the president signs this bill in days. Yeah, I, I want to put a caveat on that, though. It's, it's kind of a big one. The, the way I understand the language that Steve Bassett read, uh, and you can double check this, is that what this bill, when it becomes law, would open up is for anyone on the inside of the Pentagon, presumably NASA, uh, contractors throughout the government, uh, government contractors, DOD contractors, NASA contractors, etc. It it enables them to freely, without any retaliation, report to this special office in the Pentagon. That does that's not the same thing as going public. Now that's why I added the important additions of President Biden's new executive order, the new policy that says anybody, anybody 
And anybody means government, inside the government, outside the government. Anybody who gives leaks, etc., even classified information to someone in the media, the American media, that they will not go after the media for their notes and records. However, if it's classified information and the government finds out about it, they can still put you in jail for that. So, so it's not completely open door, but you put those two together and the door is cracked really big. It's a huge opening. It's like, you know, give them an yeah. inch, they'll take a mile. Because remember, yeah. we still live in a free enterprise society where if someone wants to make a lot of money and become historical figures, you know, remember Edward Snowden. Edward Snowden did huge services to the American people by showing them the depths of the so-called deep state and citizen, you know, monitoring and, you know, mobile phone data and, you know, all that stuff. And then he had to flee to another country. Well, Snowden now would not have to flee if he was to, in these areas, reveal to congressional committees, to supervisors, to people up the chain, people in the White House. In other words, this is such a crack in the door. The door basically after this bill is signed will be non-existent because I guarantee you, if it doesn't come out the front door, it will with enterprising reporters, pun intended, will come out the back. Right. And what's fascinating to me is that there's a, a major movement now because of um because of Biden's new executive order and new policy, um, that uh, there's there's a movement um, to uh, to have Biden um, uh, basically withdraw the case against uh, for extradition of Assange, because after all, um, you know, all Assange did was give the information to the media uh, and let the media determine what to put out. How interesting. So um, this, this may have something to do with Assange. And I think you're correct that if, um, that if uh, Snowden hadn't yet uh, done his leaks and he were still in the United States, that, that this would um, be considerable uh, a motivation for him to go to the media even more than he did originally. Any way you slice it, and of course Steve likes to slice it very, very fine. That's why we love him. Um, this is going to be an extraordinary new era in what's going on, and people will be able to support their claims with actual evidence. In this case, what's on the moon with real stunning imagery that will not be deniable. And if all that fails, so let's, let's assume that everything that Barbara and I just talked about uh, does not work. You've got Musk and eight civilians who are not covered by any non-disclosure agreement anywhere written at any time going into orbit around the moon. And most of them are artists, visual artists. There's professional photographers like this gal from, uh, from England. And if they don't see these damn ruins, then maybe somebody else should be sent. But I guarantee you they're going to see them. And before the end of the show, I'm going to lay out a potential set of scenarios, which you, our beloved audience, can help us put this across the finish line. You're being in the arena. You're playing at your A game tonight is going to be critically important on the next phase of what's to come. Okay, Barbara, I want to thank you. I need to make one other comment here to kind of close the circle, if I could. Go for it. Go ahead. Hello? I am. Can you hear us? Oh, yeah, I can hear you. Shall I go ahead? Yeah, by all means. Oh, okay. I just couldn't hear you. Um, all right. So I want to be clear. No, uh, First, I want to be clear about something, and second, I want to add the final piece of this puzzle to close the circle. I want to be clear that when this new bill becomes law, that anybody who's in the system, who knows anything about anything related to UAPs, UFOs, ETs, ball lightning, you know, <laughs> orbs, whatever, um, that they that they are that they are free now without retaliation to report. Only, as I understand it, to this new office in the Pentagon. Now, that office in the Pentagon can decide not to tell the public. However, anybody who, from the inside, if you're listening to this program, if you 
if now, as soon as it becomes law, go to that office and report it and immediately go to the mainstream media because you, but, but protect yourself when you go to the mainstream media because they're going to pay attention when you tell them, I just reported this to this special office in the Pentagon that has been enabled by the new, uh, the new AUMF. Exactly. And the media is going to pay attention. Now, here's the final piece of the puzzle. All of that information is supposed to go into the committees in the Congress. Now, those committees in the Congress have classified sessions and they have public sessions about this, uh, the reports from this special office in the Pentagon, okay? Now, they're going to get classified information that they don't think should be made public and that they're going to be told by that special office in the Pentagon that's getting all this new information from people who now have this freedom to do it. They're not going to be revealing it all to the public. However, the members of that committee, we need to put it out on our website, on your website, the members of that committee, because a single member of that committee who wants the information to be made public and is willing to risk their seat on the committee, if it's important enough, under the Supreme Court decision called U.S. versus Gravel, Gravel being in former uh, my friend and former neighbor, the late Senator Mike Gravel of Alaska, who were, who lived right here on the Monterey Peninsula for years before he passed away a few years ago. This, this court case, Supreme Court case, U.S. versus Gravel, it's very clear that any sitting member of Congress, and I'm talking about the members of the committee that will be getting the classified information uh, from this new office in the Pentagon on UAPs, etc., any member of Congress who's willing to risk their seat on the committee and maybe even their seat in Congress in the next election, if it's important enough, they can go on the floor of the House or the Senate and U.S. versus Gravel Supreme Court decision says nothing can be done to retaliate against them legally by any other branch of the government, including the executive branch and DOJ. Hmm. Including maybe Senator, it's an, you know, uh, Congressman Kevin McCarthy, who, of course, is already threatening to take certain people off committees for just parting their hair on the wrong side. <clears throat> well, yeah, and he probably would. And that's what I'm saying. If it's in, if it, the information is important enough, Allah, you know, may not be your favorite person, but, um, you know, Liz Cheney, uh, if it's important enough and you're willing, a member of Congress, see some classified information from this special new office in the Pentagon and feels they're willing to put their job in Congress on the line, certainly their committee assignment on the line, they can go public on the floor of the House or the Senate or in any House or Senate committee meeting and spill the beans that's in their memory from being inside those classified uh, hearings in Congress. They can go public and spill the beans and nothing can be done to them. Wow. Okay, uh, Barbara took time out from her dinner party. You may return to your dinner party. I understand you're having enchiladas. I'll be right over after the show. Okay, good. We're looking forward to that. <laughs> so we return you to your regularly scheduled dinner party. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, um, I'll tell you what, before we go to our next guest, let me give you a little background. Again, you want to go to the other side of midnight.com, click on tonight's banner. That takes you to the uh, show, the guest page for tonight's show. Uh, under that, you'll see where it says uh, uh, fast links to items. Click on my name. That takes you to my section of the page. And uh, you're going to want to look down at number eight. We're going to skip seven for a minute here because we're going to come back to seven when I bring John Womack on. Uh, number eight. Um, this is a plain, ordinary garden variety eclipse of a total uh, eclipse by the moon of the sun. And as you're going to see later on in the morning, you know, we've known that there was something bizarre going on with the moon. Forget the sun. Forget, the, you know, look at the moon for 171 years. I will document that shortly. And what it is, is that because the Earth's orbit around the sun is not a perfect circle, and the moon's orbit around the Earth is not a perfect circle, when you have eclipses, which roughly happen in, in two seasons uh, per year, around spring and around fall, when the, when the sun, moon, and Earth all line up in terms of their orbital planes, 
um, you get this period of totality, which can vary from, you know, a few seconds to almost seven minutes when the moon is closest and the earth is closest to the sun and that kind of thing in, in its orbit. And then it can actually uh, get far enough away so that you don't get a total eclipse. You basically have the moon in the middle of a bright ring of fire, the photosphere of the sun. That's called an annular eclipse. Annular, ring, annulus, annular, year, orbit, circle going around. It's all related in Latin. Anyway, but if you look at that picture, if you, if you click on it and make it bigger, it's obvious now of everything we know that that is an incredible backlit picture of the dome around the entire moon. And every time I say that, I, I, I can hear people fainting. He, he, did he just say there was a dome covering the whole damn moon, all 2,000 mile diameter of it, all 15 million square mile surface area? Yes, yes, yes. Because, back to Arthur Clarke, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, meaning that if you introduced an F-35 to a Neanderthal, he would think it was something out of, out of heaven, out of hell, out of someplace, not of this earth, because it would be so extraordinary to see it performing and totally beyond his ability to figure out how it worked. What did you expect we would find when we first encountered ETs? Something that we could easily understand? Of course not. By definition, they, whoever they are, and there's more than one they, are going to be so many light years ahead of us in terms of capabilities, in terms of consciousness, in terms of understanding the real universe, that even if you don't invoke all of the theories that we have posed over the years about us being kind of you know, kept in the dark and kept down on the farm. And as Charles Ford said, we are property. Even if you discount all of that, if you have different evolutionary rates going on with different species, even in the same galaxy, the guys that are going to find you are the guys that are more advanced than you are, because if you could travel to them, by definition, you would be more advanced than they are. So whoever comes here is going to be, by definition, more advanced, certainly technically, and maybe spiritually, psychologically, in terms of consciousness, in terms of being plugged into higher dimensions, whatever, as will be their ruins. So we've encountered ruins right next door on the moon. And for 50 years, tonight, literally 50 years, half a century, NASA has done everything in its power to keep the rest of the planet, the rest of humanity, from knowing what it found on the moon. That's the background context for tonight's discussion. Okay, so now we go to number nine. This also happens to be the weekend when, for the next few days, Mars is closer to us, the planet beyond the moon. Uh, as you can see in that brilliant uh, compilation by a guy named McCarthy, Andrew McCarthy, who was an amateur astronomer, who was anticipating photographing the moon occulting Mars, meaning moon's orbiting the Earth, Mars is much farther away, tens of millions of miles. The moon in its orbit moves from right to left, and it crosses Mars. And for a period of like about an hour, it's behind Mars. And then it comes out the other side. And it turned out that this uh, particular occultation was when the, the, the phase of the moon was almost a full moon. So the Mars went behind the bright side and came out. Uh, on a bright side, but there's a little bit of shadow uh, remaining on the on the right side, so <clears throat> that it was you could actually see Mars rising above a glimmer of a dark horizon on the moon. All very spectacular, and we're going to show some images shortly here. The reason that I'm doing this this way is because tonight, this weekend, is again when Mars is closest, and it's going to be for another 15 or so years. And one of our panelists, Ron Gerbrun, who really has a thing about Mars, um, I said to him, what we're going to do is we're going to segue from what's on the moon to the most interesting stuff you're going to see on Mars that's also going to come out as part of this NDAA disclosure process, 
where people like a JPL, like Andrew Curry and I have been discussing for months and months and months, years, why you can have all these brilliant genius people at JPL looking at all kinds of ruins on the Perseverance images and nobody says anything. Well, after the president signs this law, they will be able in full conscience to say something and back it up with images and real analysis. I mean, have I gotten the point across that we're on the edge? Uh, I'm thinking of a famous book here, The Edge of Forever. That we're on the edge of something so astonishing historically where all the pent-up secrets are about to have a platform where they can come out of the closet, mixing our metaphors madly, and be widely available for the general audience, the general public, the general population of the world. All right, moving on. And we need to move rather with alacrity here. Uh, items 10 and 11 are a wide angle from Andrew uh, McCarthy, the amateur astronomer who did the beautiful composite in number nine, uh, showing Mars as it exited from behind the moon. Uh, we rotated the image so the moon is like down because we find out that from the experiments at Harvard, the people see geometry better if it's up, down, left, right, the way normal reality presents itself to us. Now, you're going to see that around the moon, there are a series of isobars of luminosity. That is backscatter from the dome. Let me repeat that that you're literally looking at the moon with the sun right behind you. So the light is coming over your shoulder. It's bouncing off the moon, coming directly back like one of those, you know, zero reflection signs. And then it's continuing on to Mars, tens of millions of miles further away and coming back so that Mars basically is a full Mars. It's a not a gibbous Mars, not a crescent Mars, which we can never see. It's a, it's a full Mars, okay? Now, item number 11 is a close-up. Uh, at the top, which I put an inset in. If you click on that and look at the bottom of, of the Mars image, you see that little white trace of a line parallel to the horizon of the moon and parallel to that dark shadow from the ridge in front of uh, uh, that shadow? That's the densest refracting part of the remaining lunar dome on the Earth side of the moon. It shows up even as planets are occulted behind the limb of the moon, depending upon the state of libration of the moon. And you can see it right there, again, if you know what you're looking for. Item number 12. Now, one of the really cool things about the uh, Artemis mission was that they arranged, and again, it wasn't wasn't uh, happenstance, wasn't arbitrary, wasn't because it had nothing better to do. They arranged the orbit of the spacecraft, and that's why if you go back to my item number, uh, let me get it up here, item number five, this will kind of give you the background geometric layout of how these orbits work. They're not, by the way, to scale. That's a schematic. It's not to scale. But when they put that spacecraft into its far orbit, what they call the distant retrograde orbit, on the far side of the moon, uh, meaning that uh, depending upon the angle of the sun, it was uh, it was like a like a gibbous moon with the light coming in from the left. By the way, all the NASA images are upside down for some reason. I think it's just basically to confuse us. So what I had John do was turn everything upside down. So it's now right side up because the moon was moving uh, to the right. The spacecraft Orion moving to the left. It was causing the moon to move in front of the sun, which was a, uh, you know, a quarter million miles away from the moon and about 50,000 miles uh, further away from the uh, Orion spacecraft. Anyway, so 12 and 13 and 14 show comparisons of this um, space.com video, which is up, up listed up there in raw form in item number seven. You might want to look at that first and then look at these details. And then you're going to want to look at John's version because what's really interesting is that as uh, as you as you restore all the data in the video 
that NASA took out before they gave it to space.com, you find that the far side of the moon, the side covered in glass, most of which is still intact, is incredibly colorful. And if you continue on down, you'll see in uh, example 13 and 14, that particularly in 13, when the Earth is coming out from behind the moon, right at the edge of the moon, there's this brilliant green flash, which is caused by what we call prismatic refraction in the in the glass dome, which is covering like a shell, like wrapping the moon in saran wrap. It's about that thick. Uh, but at the right angles, you get these incredible color and luminosity changes. What I had John do was to basically take and work with the space.com video and put the color back in and wait till you see when he comes on what he's going to see. Now, who has shown it to us first? By the way, if you look at the details in 13, remember I keep saying that NASA keeps hiding stuff? I want you to look at the details on the moon in number 13. Then look at the details on the Earth. They've not been messing with the Earth in this frame. They have been messing with the moon because there's almost no detail. Why don't they want us to see the detail on the far side of the moon? Why would they blur it out? Obviously, it was selectively, deliberately blurred. The good thing is they didn't know not to mess with the color. So the colors are accurate. It's the detail. They said, oh, we got to bury the detail because, of course, from all photography, you know, the devil is in the details, right? Number 14, you see how capricious they are. Number 14, the GoPro cameras, that's pretty much what you see. Um, and it's only taken, you know, a few minutes after the one in 13 with the moon farther to the left. For some reason, they left that version alone. And you can see limited detail, but it's much more than in 13 on the moon. Now, number 15, this is what you get when you compare different space programs, because 15 is from the Chinese, taken by one of their unmanned satellites called, uh, uh, I believe, Mocking Bridge or something, uh, which was a relay satellite put up so they could communicate with their Chang uh, 5 spacecraft landing on the far side of the moon. If you zoom in on that, you're going to find something really interesting, which, of course, we don't have time in this segment to talk about, but we will when we return. So what I will say is, we're laying all this, as the lawyers say, as foundation, because when we return, we're going to bring on more panelists and they will share with you what they have found in the NASA data from Artemis from the moon. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed, and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out.